Genesis chapter 22, and this morning we are beginning a new series that we are calling Mountains and Valleys that will have us walking through events from Scripture where people found themselves at the highest points of life, um, and also they found themselves in life's uh, deepest valleys. Most of us, of course, know that life is a series of mountains and valleys where we must learn to navigate between the highs of life and the lows of life. Mountains, of course, are the natural elevation of the earth's surface. Um, mountaintop experiences, though, um, are those moments in our lives where things could not be better. Um, as believers, of course, we, we know that... Um, these are the moments that take our breath away as we stand in awe of God's goodness towards us and his faithfulness. And just think about this. Throughout recorded history, mountains have always engendered a sense of, of awe, of honor, um, of even mystery in humankind. And throughout the Bible, um, mountains have always been a place of revelation for God's people. Many of the most significant events in Israel's history happen on the heights of literal mountains. Think of Mount Ararat, where um, Noah's Ark landed. Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered Isaac, which is where we're going to be this morning. Mount Sinai, where um, God revealed himself to Moses and later gave commands for his people. Mount Carmel, where Elijah um, challenged the prophets of Baal. Or consider the life of Jesus. It's no accident that at the beginning, the middle, and the end of his ministry, mountains play a crucial role. Mountains also, um, along with representing the highest moments of life, they can also represent the insurmountable obstacles that we sometimes have to face. Valleys, on the other hand, are def defined as an elongated depression between uplands, hills, or mountains. Valleys are also um, distinct moments in our lives. These are the tough times when we don't know what's happening. These are the tough moments where we can't understand what or why things are taking place. Many times these valleys also take our breath away, but not in awe of God. They take our breath away um, because of fear, because of anxiety, as we wonder, will things ever be normal again? In the valley, we're, we're tested to hold on to hope. We're tested to, to push through on feelings that we don't understand in the valley, we're tested to trust that God is good. And so what we know is that mountains and valleys are a reality for all of us. No one is exempt from the process of highs and lows because it's a part of God getting us to where he would have us to be. And yet what we're going to see through this series is that not all mountain experiences are void of trials. And not all valley experiences are void of victories. We're going to see how both of them exist. And the reason is because God is ultimately the Lord of the mountains and he is Lord of the valleys. Um, Psalm 95.4 tells us, In his hand are the depths of the earth, meaning the, the valleys as well included. The heights of the mountains are his also. So he has the valleys of our life in his hands and he has the mountains are his. But I want you to think about, when we think about this story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice, I want you to think about the purposeful trials that exist in the mountains and the valleys. I'm not sure if we know this about ourselves, but we are a rather self-sufficient people. Uh, some of you, I'm breaking news to you today, but we are a rather self-sufficient people. We, we look at the weaknesses of others, and sometimes we glory at our apparent strengths. 
Um, we look at the foolish acts of others, and for some reason we tell ourselves how wise we are. We look at the unrighteousness that is so prevalent in our world, and our chest begins to swell um, with self-righteousness. So because of this, our Heavenly Father will do a very good thing for us. Let me say that again. He'll do a good thing for us. He'll take us beyond our wisdom, beyond our strength. He'll take us beyond our righteousness, and he will take us to a barren place of testing. And he does this so that we will look to him and that we will trust in him alone. So that we will come to know that he is our wisdom, that he is our righteousness, that he is our strength. So as much as trials or tests can confound our our wisdom, we must believe that even through them, God is doing a good thing. In the trials and the test of life, God is doing a good thing. He's doing a loving thing. He's doing a wise thing, whether we see it that way or not. I think of the words of the late theologian Dwight Pentecost who says this, and kind of wrapped up in the story of Abraham, our faith is often tested most when our present circumstances seem completely contrary to what God has revealed to us through his word. That is precisely the situation Abraham faced. And yet he did not succumb to doubting in the dark what God had told him in the light. Instead, he lived his life in accordance with what God had said. And here's what I know, brothers and sisters, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficulties, we will find ourselves, just as Pentecost said, we will find ourselves doubting in the dark what God has made very clear in the light. We will find ourselves doubting in that way. So this morning we come to Genesis 22 to Mount Moriah. It's kind of our first mountain and an event that has been called the Mount Everest of faith. It's the pinnacle example of human testing as well as the pinnacle example of human faith. But think about this mountain. So on this mountain, God asked Abraham to accomplish an unimaginable task to sacrifice his son. On this mountain, later on, David, King David, would build an altar here. And uh, God would stop um, kind of a a war that he was doing against uh, his people at the time. And you can read that in 2 Samuel 24. On this mountain, Mount Moriah, Solomon would later build the temple. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 3. And then it was also on this mountain that Jesus died. All on this mountain. So what a suitable place for Abraham to meet God, to be tested by God. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Genesis 22 verses 1 through 14 together. And here's the the problem. We know this story. We know the ending. We know the ram is going to be there. But let's remember today as we take this on that Abraham didn't. So beginning in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. So let me just pause for a second. I often wonder why it says Abraham rose early in the morning. Now think about two things. Either number one, he didn't sleep at all because of what God had asked him to do. Or number two, Sarah was a late sleeper. So he realized he better get out of the way before Sarah starts asking questions. So one of those two and maybe even both. But then it goes on to say this. In verse uh, 
3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and, set, and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And today, Lord, we want to see... Clearly, this test of faith, God, and, and Lord, what it means to our lives, but at the same time, we want to see your providence, that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the God who, Lord, you have provided for our greatest need, and Lord, you will provide. Lord, we just pray that we would leave here, God, trusting you more, even in the midst of our own tests and trials, God, leaving here, trusting you more. Speak, oh God, we pray by your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So this morning we're going to take a look at this picture of a test of faith and how we see the providence of God in it and through it. But, then just, but just think about how this section begins in chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. This is not life out of control. This is not bad luck. This is not confusion of who's in control. This is the God of the universe intimately involved in the difficult and trying times of life. And let me say from the start, according to the word of God, our God will not tempt us. He cannot tempt us. If you don't believe that, read James 1.13. It says it very clearly. God cannot be tempted to sin, or will he tempt us to sin? But God does test us. He absolutely tests us. And when we think of God testing us, we must understand that God doesn't test us so that he can come to know what we will do. So that's not why God tests us. God doesn't test us and then sit back and go, I wonder how they're going to respond. You know, it's not for God's information because he already knows how we're going to respond. It's for our transformation. So God knows beforehand what we will do in every test. But here's the, the, here's the picture. We don't know. We don't know how we'll respond. So the test isn't for God's um, benefit as far as for his information. The test is for our benefit so that we can come to understand our own character and so that our character can be refined through 
fire. Our trials have a purpose. Our tests have a purpose. And that purpose is maturity and holiness. That's what God wants in our lives. That, that's God's goal for every testing. But here's the difficulty. Unfortunately, that's not our goal. You know what our goal is in every test? Is to get through it as quick as possible. That's our goal. We want to get it through. We want to get it over with. God, get me through this. And then the question becomes, because of that, would we rather be comfortable or would we rather be holy? I mean, let's say, let's be honest, in our human ways, we'd rather be comfortable. Meaning we'd never, God, we wish God wouldn't ask us to do anything that would test our faith. We wish God wouldn't ever put us in a difficult situation. We would wish God would never put us in a place where all we have is him. Meaning we wish we'd never grow in our Christian faith at all. But the reality is, if our goal in every trial is to know God in a deeper and greater way, we will come to understand that that's also God's goal in every trial and difficulty. This is what we're about to see today, the pinnacle of test, the pinnacle of faith. And the principle is this. Here's the principle. God will take us where we never intended to go in order to produce in us what we could never achieve on our own. Let me say it again. God will take us where we never intended to go or even want to go in order to produce in us what we could never achieve on our own. So what is happening in this scripture is happening inside of the will of God. Um, the word test here helps us understand God's intention. For the word literally refers to the tempering of metal in order to make it strong and beautiful. But that doesn't happen apart from the metal having to go through the fire. In the same way, God works in and through our testing, taking us beyond our abilities, take, taking us beyond our understanding and producing something in our lives that only he can do. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to unpack together four truths that show us how faith responds in the midst of unimaginable tests and see how God will speak to us in and through this. So number one, faith immediately obeys the commands of God. Faith immediately obeys the commands of God. I want you to stop for a second and, and picture baby Isaac lying in Father Abraham's arms. What do you have here in this moment? What you have is you have the hope of the world. I mean, think about it. No Isaac, no Israel. No Israel, no Jesus. No Jesus, no salvation. So therefore, Abraham, whatever you do, don't drop him. I mean, this is kind of the, the picture here. This is what um, Abraham is holding. And then fast forward. Fast forward some 15 to 20 years, which what most people believe Abraham um, was anywhere from 115 to 120 when this happened, meaning Isaac was anywhere from 15 to 20 years old when this story is told. We often envision a little boy, uh, but the picture is, no, he's teenager or a young man. Abraham's an older man in 15 to 20 years, and we're told God tested Abraham saying, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering. Abraham rose early in the morning, as we just said, saddled his donkey and took his son, Isaac. And here's what we have to understand. Faith is not irrational. But faith will take us beyond our ability to understand. We won't always understand. You know, we don't live in a world that's divided between fact and faith. 
where fact is over here, faith is over here, and we have to kind of walk in between and kind of somehow walk back and forth between the two. That's not how it works. Our faith is rooted in revealed facts of redemption, meaning our faith is rooted in what God and Jesus have already done for us. These aren't theories. These are truths of what God has done. But the call of faith also will take us beyond our ability to figure it out. The call of faith will take us beyond our ability to reason it out. And there will be times when by God's will, he will put us in situations that don't seem like expressions of his love, that don't seem like expressions of um, his grace, that don't seem wise and good. There will even be times where God's commands seem dangerous. If you don't believe that, think about the fact that God is still calling missionaries to go in places where it is against the law to take the gospel. And then think about the command of God here. Let's be very clear what God was asking Isaac to do. He says a burnt offering. Just so you know what a burnt offering is. That means you lay an offering um, on an altar. You cut it into pieces and then you burn it all. That's what God was asking in this moment for Abraham to do to his son, Isaac. The command was clear. The command was certain. It was without question. Yet Abraham faced two major issues in this moment. First of all, this was totally out of character for God to command a human sacrifice. That had never been done before in the worship of Yahweh. Now, it was a common practice in pagan religions and pagan societies for them to kill their children. But that is completely outside of what God had previously revealed or declared. Declaring himself to be the one who gives value to human life. So that's the first issue. But then second, if Isaac died, then all of the promised blessings also die with him. If Isaac dies, there will be no great nation from Isaac who will then be a blessing to all the other nations. But here's what we know. Abraham was certain of what God had told him to do. Um, and so both of these issues, even though they went against everything that Abraham understood about God, God has spoken. Abraham would obey. And he would not just obey sometime later. He would obey immediately. In that heavy moment, there was no arguing with God. There was no bargaining with God. There was only obedience to God. And here's the point. Many people have been led from this story to question the character of God. How can a good God ever ask anyone to do that? I love what one theologian said. He said this, our restricted human horizons incapacitate us from passing judgment on the thoughts and the ways of God. Our restricted human horizons, meaning basically simply this, we're stupid humans. Who are we to ever question the infinite God? I mean, unfortunately, we do because we're stupid humans. But may, may we understand God is God and he is good. And although we must focus on the hand of God orchestrating all of these events, these things are in his control, we must also in these moments, hear this, focus on our own hands. And what I mean by that is this, are there things that we're holding on to that's preventing us from knowing God in a greater way? In one of his books, Watchman Nee, the great Chinese Christian, said that we approach God like little children with open hands begging God for gifts. 
He says, because God is good, he fills our hands with good things. He gives us life and health and friends and money, success, recognition, marriage, children, a nice home, a good job. All the things that we count at Thanksgiving when we count our blessings. And so like children, he said, we rejoice in what we have received and we run around comparing what we have with each other. But then he says this, when our hands are finally full, God says, my child, I long to have fellowship with you. Reach out your hand and take my hand. But we won't. We can't. And God says, but I'm the one who gave those things to you in the first place. And we say, oh God, what you have asked is too hard. Please don't ask me to put these things down. To which God answers, but you must. But you must. Never forget. Never forget this, brothers and sisters. What God asked Abraham to give back to God is what God gave Abraham in the first place. Understand that sometimes God tests our faith by asking us to give back to him what he has supernaturally or faithfully already given to us. Ultimately, we must hold loosely even to the things that God has given us so that our obedience to him cannot be hindered. Faith immediately obeys the commands of God. But then secondly, faith passionately holds to the promises of God. So faith passionately holds to God's promises. For faith is believing that God will keep his promises despite circumstances that seem to the contrary. I love Hebrews 11. In this faith chapter, it talks about the story of Abraham like this. In verses 17 through 19, it's on the screen. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. And then it says this about Abraham. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And we look at that in the next point. But let me remind us this morning, our job is not to try to figure out the things that God hasn't revealed. Our job is to obey the things that God has revealed. Let me say that again for those of you not paying attention right now. Maybe you will. Our job is not to try to figure out um, the things that God hasn't revealed. Our job is to obey the things that God has revealed. And just think about what God had revealed to Abraham. Did God promise Abraham a great nation through Isaac? Yes. Did God ask Abraham to literally sacrifice his son? Yes. Was it a legitimate request? Yes. Did Abraham know in advance how the story would end? No. And that's our problem. Our problem is we have a tendency to read the story backwards. We start with the fact that Isaac didn't die, yet we miss the weight of what God asked of Abraham. Abraham didn't know how the story would end. Abraham didn't know about the ram in the thicket. So the question becomes, what did Abraham know? He knew that God or he knew what God had asked him to do, and he knew that God had promised to give him a son through whom he would bless the world. What he didn't know was how God was going to reconcile the promise, all the nations of the earth be blessed through Isaac, with what he was asking, with the command to sacrifice his son in that moment. It's at this point that we see the height of Abraham's faith. Let me just emphasize this again, and please don't miss this. It wasn't Abraham's job to keep God's promises for him. That's always God's job. 
Let me say this to you, brothers and sisters. It's not your job to keep God's promises for him. God can keep his own promises. God doesn't need us to keep his promises. God is more than able. When we give ourselves to keeping the commands of God, and when we let God fulfill his own promises, all will be well. It was Abraham's job to offer his son. It was God's job to keep his promise. And here's the point. When our, when our faith is tested, and it will be tested, we must anchor our souls in the promises of God. Abraham was able to endure this, um, the greatest trial of his life because he knew the word of God was sure. He knew that what God said he would do. In fact, he would later write in Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Therefore, Abraham could take this journey and lay his son on the altar even when he had no answers for all the why questions that had to be running through his mind. And here's a good question for us. What has God spoken regarding our circumstances that we are facing? What has God spoken? Think about this. Are you facing a step of faith right now? Are you, ta- are you facing a step of faith? If you are, Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you are you facing circumstances that you feel too weak to endure second corinthians 12 says jesus said my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness are you facing decisions that you have no answers for james 1 5 says if anyone lacks wisdom let him ask of god who gives generously to all without reproach and it will it meaning wisdom will be given are you facing opposition from without or from within romans 8 31 tells us if god is for us who can be against us are you facing an apparent lack of resources in fulfilling god's calling upon your life romans 8 32 it says he meaning god who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also um, in him or with him graciously give us all things are you, are you staring death in the face? Don't miss the promise of Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Has sin won in your life this week? Don't miss Romans 5, 20. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We are not a people who live by explanations. We are a people who live by promises. God has given us promises. What God has declared, faith passionately holds to the promises of God because God keeps his promises. So faith obeys the commands of God. It holds to the promises of God. And number three, faith confidently rejoices in the power of God. Faith confidently rejoices in the power of God. Think about what we just read in Hebrews 11, that, um, that Abraham even believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead if he went through with his sacrifice. And I love, I love this. Sometimes we, we read the words of, of 2 Corinthians 5.17, we walk by faith and not by sight, and here's what we think. We think that that means that we take a blind step of faith and we hope that it all works out. Yet that is not the picture of faith. That's not the picture of faith in Scripture that we all of a sudden take a step in the dark. 
No, faith isn't stepping into the dark, brothers and sisters. Faith is stepping into the light. Let me say that again because some of you just look like, I don't get that. Faith isn't stepping into the dark of what we don't know about God. It's stepping into the light of what we do know. Of what we know God has called us to do. Of believing that God will keep his word because he is powerful to do so. So Abraham is being asked to take this humongous step. And he began to, by considering the past performance of God, the character of God, and his calculated conclusion was that the same God who gave him Isaac when Sarah's womb was as good as dead was the same God that could raise Isaac up from the dead. Even though there had been no resurrection in the scripture up to this point, Abraham knew there was no other way. God would keep his word. Therefore, with utmost confidence in the power of God, Abraham told his servants in Genesis 22, verse 5, he said, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you. Such was the faith of Abraham. Abraham rejoiced in the power of God. Let me tell you why. Because he knew God was able. He knew God was able. Just listen to what Paul wrote of the faith of Abraham in Romans 4, 20 and 21. It says this, and it's on the screen. He, meaning Abraham, grew strong in his faith. Why? Because he was convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Just let those three words resonate in your hearts today and wash over your hearts today, even now. Those three words, God is able. God is able. I don't know what you're facing today, but God does, and he's able. I don't know what you'll face tomorrow, but God does, and he's able. I don't know what you'll face next month or next year, but God does, and he will forever be able. God is able. Let's rejoice in God's power. We're not able. Praise God, he is. He will forever be able. Let those words wash over you today. Our God is able. Oh, he is able. Which leads us to the last truth, and that is this. Faith constantly remembers the faithfulness of God. Faith constantly remembers the faithfulness of God. Abraham knew all about God's faithfulness. He even knew that God remained faithful when Abraham had remained uh, faithless or had been faithless. You think about the story of Abraham um, and Sarah. When God When Abraham was 75 years old, God came to him with a promise. Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. But 10 years went by, and guess what? There was nothing. No son whatsoever. So finally, Sarah approaches Abraham and says, Go ahead and take my maidservant. Have children with her. And Abraham goes, Okay. What what could possibly go wrong with this? So, of course, Hagar gets pregnant, and she begins to look upon Sarah and Sarah sees it, and she goes to Abraham and says, what have you done to me? Really? I mean, come on. And so what can Abraham answer in that moment? But apparently everything I've done to you, and um, nothing can be right, a terrible circumstance. But finally, we have this picture where years go by. No revelation from God, years. And then God comes and says, I'm not done. I'm going to fulfill my promise. Ishmael is not the one. Isaac will be the one. They laugh. They laugh. Abraham laughs. I'm almost 100 years old. Sarah's almost 90 years old. They're laughing. 
So guess what God says? You're going to have a child and you're going to name him Isaac, which means what? Laughter. It means laughter. It's a picture of what I am able to do. But think about this. All of this happens. 25 years of waiting and here comes a son. 15 or 20 years with this son and now God says, kill him. But here's the point. Even in this moment, Abraham knew God was faithful. He knew God was faithful. 25 years, God, you've been faithful. You've kept every past that, God, you're faithful. So listen to what he says in verse 8 of chapter 22. He says, Abraham said, after Isaac asked the question, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. Another way of saying that is this. God will provide as himself the lamb. You can look at it both theological ways because both in the New Testament become true. But then it says this, they went on together. And then verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes. So as the angel stopped him, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now maybe that's happened before to you when you're out hunting and you see a deer um, caught by its horns. You're like, thank you, Lord, um, dinner. But here's the point. Maybe that's happened to a few of you, so I'm not going to say that never happens. But in this moment, it was a clear picture of God providing and doing what he said he will do. So Abraham took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And this story, Abraham offering up his son, laying him on the altar, can be taken, get this, as a thrilling foreshadowing of God offering his son for us. If you write anything down today, write this down. In Genesis 22, we see what man will do for the love of God. In Genesis 22, we see what man will do for the love of God. Yet at the cross, we see what God will do for the love of man. In Genesis 22, we see what man will do for the love of God. But at the cross, we see what God will do for the love of man. Abraham was only asked to sacrifice Isaac. God actually sacrificed his son. When God's hand was raised at Calvary, there was no cry, stop, don't do it, don't harm the child. There was no ram in the thicket on that day because according to John 1.29, Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Abraham's test, although a grievous one, was pointing to something extremely glorious, God's sacrifice for us. Don't miss the beauty of it. That God said, Abraham, you don't have to go through this because I will. You don't have to do this because I will. Therefore, although the faith of Abraham seems outrageous to us, according to Hebrews 11:6, that faith is still what pleases God. Not killing children, but obeying God as we walk through the unthinkable. Trusting God's character every step of the way, even when things don't make sense. So because we know our God, because we believe his promises, we're able to endure every test, every trial, every difficulty, every pain, because they come from the good hand of our gracious God. Let me show you again how this story ends. The last verse in our section that we read, verse 14, says, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on that mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But let me just show you real quickly that word provision. That word provision is made up of two words. The word pro, which means forward, and vision, which means to see. So provision means to see 
forward or to see beforehand. Meaning, in God's provision, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides, meaning that he is the God who sees it all. He sees it all. Now, it doesn't mean that he'll change our circumstances. It means he knows our circumstances. They don't surprise him. Anything that we walk through in any moment will never take him off guard. How many of you had something in your life last week that took you off guard? Okay, three of us. Okay, the rest of you, maybe this is your week. I'm, I'm not sure. But most weeks, there are things that happen that take us off guard. Even our own behaviors, our own failure can sometimes take us off guard. But there is not one thing that we will ever go through or ever do that will ever take God off guard. That will ever catch God by surprise. God is never in heaven going, I can't believe Frank just did that. <laughs> never saw that coming. That is not, I mean, Frank says that all the time, but God never says it. God knows. And here's the point. He is still Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who has provided and bless God, praise God. He is the God who will provide. Because he has provided for our greatest need and salvation, he will provide for our every need. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God has provided. He has done it. Therefore, he will continue to do it because that's who he is. Whatever test, whatever difficulty, whatever pain, whatever thing that you're walking in through or walking through in this moment, trust that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the one that has provided. He is the one who will. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And we're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever God is asking you to do in this moment, that you will do it. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in this moment. And we do so, Lord, knowing that, God, maybe today is a day for some of salvation, a day where you are bringing people, Lord, to the cross. As they hear a story of Abraham and being called in a moment to sacrifice his son, yet you, Lord, stopping him from that and providing a substitute pointing to the fact, God, that you would send us a perfect substitute in your son, Jesus, that where Abraham would not be allowed to sacrifice his son, oh God, you would for us. And I pray if there's anyone in here today that has never trusted Christ alone for their salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for others of us in here, God, that are right now in this moment in the middle of a test or a trial or a difficulty. God, help us, Lord, to obey you. Help us to trust your promises, God. There is a promise for our every need. Help us to trust them. To trust your power, to trust your faithfulness, Lord, that you will provide. Lord, also understanding that the goal, Lord, is not to get through as quick as possible. The goal is for you to do in us and through us, God, what you have um, ordained to be done in us, for us, through us. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who coming up this week will be going through a test. God, I pray that your word has prepared them, Lord, to trust you, to lean on you like never before. You are worthy. You have provided. God, you will provide. Thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.